Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I am looking forward to spending time with you because I always look forward to spending time with you. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio and being nice to me. I appreciate all that. My guest this hour is Todd Mulliken, and I'm always looking forward to spending time with uh, Todd. You can learn more about Todd and his services at toddmulliken.com, M-U-L. L-I-K-E-N. Mulliken. That's the that's the name. Don't wear it out. Hey Todd, how are you? <laughs> Good afternoon. Do you remember that? My name's my name's Todd. Don't, Don't wear it out. out. Do you remember that? <laughs> that is... I haven't thought about that since what fifth grade, maybe? Right. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. We're gonna chat about a couple of things today. And I always want to open the text line to people who have a question. Anytime you hear something or you have a concern relative to our topic, you are so welcome to text in the question. And that number doesn't change. It's 877-933-2484. So, Todd, maybe we can start today by talking about the healthiest type of communication, which you say is assertive. Yeah. Assertive. Now, what does that mean? And that is, we don't want to be pushy, do we? No. That's, last time I was on, we talked about the passive-aggressive style, which is aggressive, but in a passive way, backdoor okay. way. Right, the, the let's, ghosting. Let's the review sar- that real quick. Yeah, so ghosting somebody, being sarcastic. What does ghosting somebody ghosting, mean? Ghosting, uh, just sh- shutting down and not responding to their text because they're upset. So I'm going to just ignoring? give them silent treatment. Is that also called ghosting? Yes, it's kind of a newer term. Okay. Sorry. Ghost. Sorry. Yeah. And, or just ignoring or silent treatment. Okay, cold shoulder. Cold shoulder. Yeah. Yep. That's uh, passive aggressive, isn't it? For sure. Yeah. Sarcastic, uh, feigning compliance where you kind of go along but you don't really mean it. And so it's a very common form of aggressive communication, which is hurtful, but it's done in a passive way. And then the other kind is the is aggressive behavior. And aggressive behavior is where it's very interrogative, it can be abusive, it's outward, it's it's noisy, it's loud. Mm-hmm. And then the other end is passive, which is very dependent, very like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, always deferring, always coming from a place of feelings of inadequacy and just going along and just being really detached and not knowing self. And then assertive is actually what we're for as Christ followers, where we are clear, we are interactive, we are empathetic, we create invitations, not interrogations, we're for the other, and it's done in a way that's clear and and uh, open and honest. Mm-hmm. And we'll let people know that if you do that, be prepared for some pushback. Correct. You jump out of a plane, you're going to have some G-force on your face, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah, and assertive isn't meaning we're picking a fight, it means we are clear about what is wonderful about that discussion we had or clear about what was difficult about that discussion we had. You know, we're, 
Romans 12, 9 says, you know, love must be sincere. So we're just being sincere in our love. And uh, peace is actually one of the ways we talk about peace is healthily mediated conflict. Mm -hmm. So we're not looking for fights. We're not picking fights. But boy, especially in this day and age, if we can be those people that are gospel-based by creating invitational interactions versus needing to be right interactions or just being passive-aggressive kind of interactions, that's really... I think that makes people want to know more about what's going on in your life. How how do you have that capacity to have this difficult conversation with me, but really maintain you know a wise posture in that? And we're not always going to be good at that, but boy, we want to try with God's help to really assert well and have good interactions. Mm -hmm. Todd Mulliken is my guest. Todd, when you are wanting to be an assertive communicator, I know there's things rambling around in your head like this will create conflict. This could ruin our evening. This could cause the weekend to go south. Mm. So you've got to weigh all that into the equation, right? You do. Right. I mean, again, we're not looking to always pick a fight. We are sometimes letting something go, but we're not holding against Mm -hmm. that person for that. We're going, now's not the time. You know, Thanksgiving dinner with people we haven't seen for (laughs) six months, now's not the time. Right. But it's just saying that when we are going to communicate about something that's difficult, can we do it in a way that asserts versus is aggressive or sideways or really passive and holding against? And that's just something we get to do. And it is very freeing when we do it, because at least on our side of the street, we're trying to uh, create an invitational style like, hey, you know, this is really hard when it happened yesterday. How did you see it? Here's where I was coming from. Or worst case scenario, it, it blows up a little bit, doesn't go well. We're the first ones to come back assertively and say, hey, you know, I kind of went to the top of Anger Mountain there. That, that's on me. And how was that for you? So we're coming back. We're closing loops. We're being people that really try to communicate in a way that's clear and honest. And sometimes I think when people hear that, the the passive people think clear and honest means, oh, I'm, I'm just going to be picking fights. So, oh, I don't want to do that. But it can be clear and honest about a joyful moment, about a beautiful moment, about a good moment. and But clear and honest also about something that was hard, but really doing our part well. And sometimes aggressive people hear me say that and will say, well, good, I get to speak truth again. Mm-hmm. Well, make sure you're asking the other person what they think after you just told them what you thought. Create an invitation, not an interrogation. So mm-hmm. assertive communication creates invitational styles, Bill. It creates rules of engagement like you and I have talked about. Yeah, that, yeah. I like rules of engagement. That's very helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the best way you and I can do that is pr- prepare ahead of time in our quiet time with knowing, hey, I got a couple of these situations coming up today that could kind of get dicey, you know, with this particular person. And Holy Spirit, you know, what do you got for me there? What am I hearing from you? How am I listening to you? How am I being comforted? And how am I just listening to how you want me to represent you there in a way that's healthy and honorable? And that, then, then in my experience, at least, I've got a better chance to show up and really be a gospel representative there. Mm-hmm. So when you want to be clear and, and straightforward, I, I, I like that you are going to be assertive. Because that doesn't, initially that sounded a little aggressive, but mm. after this discussion, it doesn't. Mm. It, it feels very plain and simple, right? Mm-hmm. Is there a way to warm up the uh, the interaction to best deliver that, oh, that's a great that clear and yeah. assertive um, communication? I think 
a phrase I, I use quite a bit is let each other in versus take things out on each other. So if I'm struggling with something that my wife has said or something that a colleague has said or some, you know, somebody at church or a friend has said, I, I'm better off going, I've been, this is what has been rolling around in my mind mm-hmm. about what happened yesterday. And I find myself thinking this way, how about you? What are your thoughts? So I'm, I'm letting them into what I'm going through versus, hey, when you did that yesterday, I think here's the 10 things that were wrong with that, and I'm not okay with it, and I've been praying over it, and I think you got a problem. You know? So am I kind of creating an invitational style by being somewhat vulnerable myself about I this has been swimming in my head a little bit. I'm not sure what's going on in my mind about it, but here's what I'm thinking. What do you got? Because we're in this together. Mm-hmm. And we want to come off like that, not fake it, but we want to be that way because we know we're enough in Jesus to be his representative there. And I just think it's easy, it's it's easier to not do that and just default into our own our patterns that we all have under stress. So I mm-hmm. think it's good to know, like, you know, my side will be more probably passive aggressive side. Um, you know, maybe somebody else might, their side might be real passive. Hey, you know, I think my dilemma is I tend to get too aggressive. So are we asking ourselves those questions about the edges we want to smooth off? Mm-hmm. I had a friend give me some advice when I was having a difficult interaction with a, another friend. And and sh- she said, make sure you fight towards him, not away from him. Mm. I thought, that's really smart. Mm. I, I want to fight, well, conflict, fight, whatever. I, I, I want to fight towards you, not away from you. And that that probably helps probably the passive person more, right, to stay engaged? Yeah, maybe. Right, because the aggressive person might say, good, I get to fight towards you and continue to... But the goal what, was... What, what was your sense about that? Well, the mean, goal wasn't to, to fight to further... Go mm. in the other direction. Gotcha. And go. Yeah, we're coming we're, towards each other. We're, we're yeah. going to fight. We're going to come towards each other. Love that. Yeah. 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 That's really good. Yeah. Todd Mullican is my guest, and we are uh, talking about speaking assertively. Is that a problem of yours? Do you, do you have a uh, an issue coming up where you know you need to speak assertively, and you'd like a little counsel? Uh, let us know what that question is. We'd be happy to put it on the air anonymously, of course. Eight seven seven nine three three two four. Eight four again eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. I'll be right back with Todd Mulligan in just a minute. We would love for you to share your story about why you love Faith Radio and what has Faith Radio change the way you think about something or even how you live. We want to hear from you. Your story can encourage others and glorify God. Share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leaving a message today. let this one play for a little while. I like that. Bass player, by that the is, way. That is awfully mm. good. That mm. is awfully good. You don't have to be likable to be on my show if you can make great contributions. Fortunately, 
My guest today makes con- great contributions and is likable, and that's Todd Mulkin. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Yeah, nice to have you here. We're talking about being assertive in our communication, which is the healthiest style. Um, and I, I want, because there's people who just climbed in their car, uh, just give us a little recap of what a healthy, assertive style looks like. So it's invitational. Invitational, all right. So I'm saying, check. Saying what I'm thinking, and I'm inviting the other person into it. So I'm creating a volley, not a last word. Okay. Uh, I am honest about it. I am integrous about it. I am non-interrogative. So I think those are the main things. I like that. It's increasing vulnerability and being. Uh, interactive. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's very, uh, it's really engaging for the other person, and it gives the other person the best chance to join you in it. Mm-hmm. And when people come into your office for uh, counseling, and there's two people there, how uh, assertively are they speaking? Are they speaking clearly and and with in, in, integrity, or are you hearing a different kind of communication style in the office? Yeah, I think when we get hurt by something, a pattern of behavior in our spouse or a moment, I think it's easy in our hurt mindset to then go to places that are less assertive. We're either more vulnerable to fight or flight, and in the fighting we sometimes are too aggressive and interrogative and uh, kind of top-down, or in our flight we freeze and hold against and... Or just can't find our words because we're frozen. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the vulnerable spaces we go into when we're in a, a mindset where we've been more often not unintentionally just in a place of hurt and, and we're stuck. Mm-hmm. Which is oftentimes what people come into, especially for couples work, is just learning how to communicate better. Whether we are dealing with in-law issues, intimacy issues, uh, theological issues, you know, whatever the topic is, we are trying to create a framework where we can create more invitational style as a couple or as a family, and uh, and we just get to do that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easier to, to default to stress reactions and then be really vulnerable to, you know, flipping, or um, Ephesians 4, 25 and 26 talks a lot about that, you know, in your anger, do not sin. It doesn't say we don't have an anger feeling sometimes, we're just not sinning in it. So how am I, as more of a passive person myself, how am I not sinning by at least bringing it up versus holding against and if I'm an aggressive, more style of a communicator, how I might be sitting in what I'm saying out loud and how am I regulating that first? What about the person that feels that if I say what I want to say, but it doesn't come out right, I might be in more trouble and I can't take it back because I've already said it. And now I wish I would have said it differently. So you end up saying nothing. Yeah, you're speaking to a big population there. You're speaking to the passive people and you're speaking to the passive-aggressive people typically where they're really defined by how it goes. And they feel like if it doesn't go well, then I've done it wrong or it wasn't worth it uh, because now it's worse, right? And so they feel that way deeply because the conflict itself created more problems. So... Again, this doesn't mean, you know, every time that I have a moment where I just got to say something, I just always have to say it. It just means when I'm, especially if I'm more of a passive internal person, if I'm starting to hold that against or starting to build a case against, 
then I'm called to forgive as Christ forgave me. So I need to get start getting that out. And then for sure the next week in my office, they will say, that was bad advice because it didn't go well. I said, I know. And honesty today prevents problems tomorrow. But yeah, I think my spouse will hold that against me now for a long time. I said, well, that wasn't your intent. And so you can clarify what your intention was. And if they hold that against you for a long time, even though you created an invitation, not an interrogation, then that's probably more of an issue of what you need to be able to talk about together as a couple and how do we trust each other's intentions and not hold against. Mm -hmm. So I would offer, Bill, like even if it gets squishy a little bit because we brought something up, uh, over time that couple will learn that we either get to just continue to have an ice age or we continue to start coming towards each other and trying to figure that out so we know we're for each other and we uh, can trust each other's intentions because even if we're stuck, we're, we're, we're both trying to get this better. Mm-hmm. Todd Mulliken is my guest. Todd, now address the people listening who, who are thinking to themselves, uh-oh, I might be one of those people that are holding something against somebody. Mm-hmm. Because you just said, I, I don't know if I said that right, and that now he or she is going to be holding this against me for a long time. Yeah. Now speak to the ones who are listening going, Ooh, that might be me. I might be the one that's holding this against my partner, my spouse, my husband, my wife. Oh, boy. I think uh, top two or three things that I'm dealing with the last you know, many years in my office is that right there. And that is the, it's easier to hold something against. But when I do that, then I'm actually giving power to what they did against me and, and versus being defined by who I'm, who I'm becoming in Christ. And who I'm becoming in Christ, since my identity is in Christ, is to release the person from what they did, create a boundary for what happened, address the mess, but not hold against. You know, the more I do this, Bill, the more I find resentment is a crusher. Any resentment I hold against my wife of 34 years, in my opinion, is on me. It's not on her. <laughs> Um, any resentment that people hold against another person, in my opinion, is more on that person. It doesn't mean I'm being judgy. I'm just saying it it will crush their life mm-hmm. because now they're actually giving a lot of space and time about what happened to them versus this happened to me and this wasn't an incident. This is a pattern of behavior. So I'm setting boundaries because I'm not okay with that. I've been hurt by that. And I'm going to address that with the person. Mm-hmm. I may not, it may not, I'm not sure how it'll go, but I'm going to address it versus hang on to it. So I've just found because when I hang on to it, then what I notice that happens, Bill, in people's stories is that they take that with them into their next situations in life, their next friendship, uh, their next relationship, and they're really kind of triggered more quickly because they're giving power to what happened to them. I hope that makes sense. Versus addressing what happened to them, knowing they're enough in Christ, seeing the person, you know, actually... You know, actually, I understand that person and why they struggle with that. And actually, I know a bit of their story, and I know, yeah, I know, I see, I see you, I see where that came from. And it doesn't mean I'm enduring that, but I'm not holding it against them because I see where they're coming from. And in my opinion, that's how we forgive as the Lord forgave us. Mm-hmm. Is we release that person from what they've done, we create a boundary, we discuss it, especially if we're in an ongoing relationship with them. But it doesn't define who we are moving forward because what happens is what if we 
put that in our resentment bank, then if somebody else does something that kind of looks, smells, or feels similar to that, bang, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just right on it again. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm triggered by it because now it's defining who I am too much. So it's something I've seen a lot, and I've seen when people are really working on that and releasing their partner from that or, you know, a friend or whoever, they're releasing that person from that. From that, They are free now to address an issue. They are free to know they're enough in Jesus and not to take it on. Because if I'm, I know if I'm building resentment, like I'm alone in that resentment, and I know when I try to bring the Holy Spirit in there, I kind of feel convicted by it. I mean, you know, usually I feel like, well, you know, what's that about? I mean, you were hurt by what happened, and so... Are you going to talk to that person about that? Or, well, I can't because it won't go well. Okay. Uh, so in my mind, the spirit of truth is telling me like and advocating and comfort me in that going, yeah, well, we got to either need to address it or you've got to learn how to let it go. <laughs> and if you're going to let it go, it doesn't mean you're not going to create a boundary, but you're not going to hold it against. Mm-hmm. So I just invite people to do that. To, and we're not only really called to do that and the Lord knows, knows what he's doing. Because otherwise it kind of sounds like, well, just forgive as the Lord forgave you and, and you're in this horrible, toxic relationship. We're not talking about that. If we're in a horrible, toxic relationship, still forgive the person, but create ironclad boundaries that start with an honest conversation. And if the person's really, really difficult, that probably won't go well. Mm-hmm. And the second is what I call medium chill, or we have, now we have a, a more significant boundary where we're just not as close because there's hurt there that's, that's got traction to it. Mm-hmm. And in severe cases, we actually create separation until it's safe again. So, Todd, you'd mentioned uh, uh, your wife of 34 years. When you have a resentment, what is the shelf life of it? How long? What is the shelf life of a resentment you may have? Yeah. And maybe I shouldn't ask you that question, and hopefully no, your fine. wife's not listening. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think what I do, I think it'll come up if there's a behavior that reminds me of it, right? So it'll, it'll come back, it'll come off the shelf. Of course, it's got a lot of dust on it because I don't have much reason. Right <laughs> <up>. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. I'm as vulnerable as the next person. Uh, but I, so then I, it's up to me when it comes back. Am I holding that? Oh, there you go again. Mm, okay. Mm. And you know what? I don't even trust what you're doing right now. Whoa, whoa. What is that? We just had a great day yesterday. We have a great marriage. Now I'm not trusting you? That's more my trigger. Well, why is that trigger there? Well, that trigger's there because I've been holding that against her. Mm. Right? And that's on me. Versus if I'm not going to address that, if I'm going to hold it against, then anything that looks, smells, or feels similarly, I am on it. I'm going to be right. I'm going to win. And boy, you know, so that I'm really a believer in releasing resentments. I mean, I'm all over that yeah. idea. Anyway. And I wasn't suggesting you were holding resentments on a shelf and mm. we're dusting them off on sure. occasion. Got it. I was just saying like produce, you know, it's going to mm. expire in three days. I mean, how long oh. versus beef jerky, which you can store in your... <laughs> And your trunk and your trunk for forty years and still eat it, right? <laughs> oh, so are you, so good. Yeah, hopefully there's there's people though that are holding mm. resentments and have, have been doing yeah. so for twenty years. Yeah. So when you have one, I'm assuming mm. it it's got a it's shorter got a shelf short life. life. Yeah, it yeah, does. That's that's it, what yep. I was trying to say. Yeah. Sorry, I went a different direction with that, but I that's think okay. yeah, it can. The shorter the shelf life, the better. The way we address it, the more quickly, the better. Yeah. We're going to take a break. If you have a question, we've got a couple coming in here, so we'll address those with Todd Mulliken. When we come back, you can learn more about Todd at toddmulliken.com. And I hope you would consider giving someone hope for Christmas this year. Maybe uh, you can't change their journey, but you can encourage them in it. Uh, and you can pray 
to see how you might be the hands and feet of Jesus this Christmas and let Faith Radio know of the need of someone that you know who might be blessed with a $500 Visa gift card. You can give hope for Christmas at MyFaithRadio.com. Check it out. We'll be right back. So glad to be back with Todd Mulliken as my guest and friend today. We're talking about being assertive in your communication, and we're also going to wander into another topic here in a few minutes, but some uh, good questions have come in. Todd, uh, what about when a person continually twists your words and intentions? It's important not to lose the relationship that we do have. Yeah. That probably happens the most when they're in a, a difficult discussion. And usually the person that's twisting the words is not trusting the other person and they're triggered by some of their own things. So the best I can do if the person is twisting my words is just do what I call a clarifying conversation. And that means, you know, I hear this is where I hear you went with that. I just want to clarify what I meant and and here's, I just want to clarify again what my intention was and say that. And if the other person still twists it, you just address that and said, it feels like you're twisting. It's hard for me. The best I can do, and I love you and I'm for you, is just to let you know this is my intention. And we're just, we're invitational in that. And we're offering that from a place of confidence in Christ and from a place of empathy. Uh, and we are not defined by if they continue to twist. Because mm-hmm. now I'm going to hold that against and be too ruminative about whether they're going to they're going to twist my words or not. Now I'm starting to be defined by what they are doing versus who I am in there. And somebody goes sideways with it and that's hurtful. I'm going to clarify it and let them know what my intention was. Mm-hmm. And not easy. Not easy. And then important to take a breath and stay calm because if your words get twisted, your, your pulse can go up a little bit. And when that gets elevated, right? Correct. Then you might say something in return Instead of a invitational volley, you might come back with something stronger. Interrogational uh, accusation. Yeah. For sure. And so, yeah, it's great that we prepare for those times. And it's also good to come back afterwards if we do kind of get interrogational or, you know, just not our best self in Jesus there, is own that and come back and own that. And really, you know, we're showing what good leaders do in the faith is come back and own our part and have a confessional spirit about it. Mm-hmm. versus like, well, you know, they haven't really owned their part yet. And, you know, I think it's their turn. And so I'm going to wait until they own their part. And now I'm on my heels. I'm defined by what the other person's doing versus being defined by who I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when has it happened before when the other person is waiting for an apology or something and the other person's completely clueless to the idea that this person wants an apology? Oh, yeah. And then you've got this continental drift. It's a 
great insight. Yep. And usually that passive person is waiting for the apology instead of just saying, I need to let them know that this is something I'm needing right now and I'm struggling with, and I need to let them in on that. And if I hold that against them, and because I'm expecting them to read my mind, that's on me. Mm-hmm. Todd, with all of the divisiveness in the world today, and mm-hmm. I think there's been more and more with the result as a result of the last several years, five, maybe 10, I don't know, but it seems like the world has been um, more divisive and more combative than ever before. Is that fair? Is that your observation Completely as well? Completely fair. The last five years of my office has been different than okay. the previous 30 by, okay. by a landslide. Okay. Yeah. So um, when we are more and more divisive and we're not finding the love and the unity that I think we were once better at doing, um, how, when words are coming at us that are mean-spirited, I can't believe you're thinking that way. I, I thought you were smarter than that. And the name-calling starts. How do you manage that? Because that, those, are, those are some sharp, sharp barbs coming. Right. Well, I'm going to be more defined by my perspective on it versus what they're telling me. I'm be more defined by, I see, you You know, this is what I'm hearing you say where you're going with that. Mm-hmm. Or when you speak like that, it's really, it's hard, it's hurtful when you talk to me like that. That's not what I'm for. I'm for us trying to accept our differences here, but what do you think? So I'm going to, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to play Switzerland. I'm just going to not join them in the aggressive style of communication. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, Proverbs talks about, you know, return a harsh word with not a harsher word, you know, a you know, a, a softer response, which doesn't mean I'm passive and codependent. It just means I'm for getting the conversation back in a way that is more healthy, and I'm going to model that back. I'm going to acknowledge I was hurt by the words, but I'm also not going to then retaliate and try to be a last word Lorraine or last word Larry. Because mm-hmm. then I'm just went into the minor leagues with that person. Yeah, good point. All right, I'm I'm ready to change gears. Are you ready? Sure. Yeah, only because... I want to continue on a discussion we've had in the past that I think there's a lot more to mine here. And that is uh, based on a a book you wrote called Being Right Versus Being Liked, The Impact of Narcissism and Codependency on Couples and Families. And I know we were talking in the green room before the show that there are a lot of people coming into your office that are doing their own research and coming to the conclusion that their spouse or their partner is a narcissist. And you say nine and a half times out of 10, it's not true. Yeah, I think it's really easy for myself, for anybody, especially the last 10 years as we hear about narcissism, that when we get hurt and we see our spouse in a certain light and we see our spouse in his or her worst moment, that in that moment they will likely have a narcissistic trait or two. Okay, and that's different than having a clinical form of what we call narcissistic personality disorder. And it it is a personality disorder. Yes. Okay. Right. So, I mean, we can have, and and this is something we always remember about any kind of emotional or physical health, right? You can have a a, a mild, uh, you know, tear in your labrum to uh, to a separated shoulder. I mean, you can have mild to severe. Same mm-hmm. way with mental health. You can have a mild trait of under stress kind of defaulting into 
rage modalities to a severe trait of borderline personality disorder where I am just in a chronic place of of over you know over idealizing somebody then then quickly devaluing them just like that or if I have untreated bipolar disorder the same kind of narrative where I'm just excitable grandiose and like all over it and then all of a sudden I get flipped into a depressive episode so those are severe cases and the same way with narcissistic personality disorder it is a chronic maladaptive pattern of behavior it doesn't just show up in a hurtful moment, Bill. In a hurtful moment, I would offer that most people, uh, including myself, are are not at our best, right? And we are actually, you know, if we took a lens to that moment, we're going to see a lot of things in the other person. Then we're going to read about it online and read a book about it. And then we're going to say, yeah, you know, my person kind of, my, my, here's what I hear a lot of, you know, my spouse kind of shuts down in conflict, and or my spouse kind of really reacts in conflict. You know, a couple of the symptoms of covert narcissism is you 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 know you shut down, you stonewall, you do this. Or a couple of symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder is you know kind of wanting to be right, making demands versus requests, right? Uh, being entitled, expecting automatic compliance to your wishes. In those moments, most people do one or the other. <laughs> Sorry. They, they go, I mean, once in a great while, when I'm in my best self, I don't go to either place, kind of stay in my wise mind in Jesus. And it's usually because I had a good quiet time and there's less stress. And like, I'm in a moment with Laura or somebody or a friend or whoever, like, whew, you know, but more often I'm, whew, I'm, you know, default to my fight or flight styles. That makes sense. So I think people are taking those moments and moving them into disorders. Mm-hmm. Now, the truth is there are people that have narcissistic personality disorder. And the truth is there are people that are living with that, that need to address that, and need to create really ironclad boundaries and address that issue with them. Yeah. But the first step, in my opinion, is to see a clinician, and ideally together, which is hard because sometimes a narcissist doesn't want to come in. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other topic, right? The, the person that wants to come is usually the codependent who's, who's frustrated, who's sad, who's overwhelmed, and their spouse doesn't want to come in. And that is a little bit of a sign like, you know, there might be a trait or two of narcissism that maybe is kind of on that, um, on that continuum. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, Bill, people, what's more common than what we give credit for, and we're starting to do it more in therapy now, is most people under stress are more defined by their pasts of past traumas. Like, for example, if somebody thinks her spouse is narcissistic because she or he shuts down in conflict, the first question I will ask them is, in your first 18 years of life, what did you see in one of your parents under stress? And if they were stonewalled by a real real mean parent that was just, you know, it probably grew up in a mean home themselves, right? The parent is just repeating a, a generational pattern of pain, and they shut down. They never say they're sorry as a parent. They just ice the kid out. And I, as a kid, am wounded by that and wounded by that. When I become a big person and then my spouse does something that's like that a little bit, I, I automatically think, that's what they are. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? But it's totally. really more of my trauma mindset that is lying to me about that because I'm just scared. And, my, and God has also designed us, in my opinion, in a way where, hey, you know, I, I got hit by a car out in 494. Next time I go in 494, I'm going to be careful, right? Yeah, I mean, your, your brain is trained in a way where when difficult things happen, you're on alert, right? You're on alert to that. So 
I, I think it's always good to say like, I mean, the recipe that generally works with couples is is when both people, not one, when both people say, I think I'm the biggest issue in our marriage <laughs> and how are we both addressing our side of the street? And that is a game changer. The couples I see where there's transformative moves is when both people are looking in the mirror and then look out. You know, God does such amazing work because both people are just working on their own messes and owning that with each other. Not some kind of false humility, but just a strength of like, yeah, that was a tough conversation. Here's my part in that. And most of the time we can do that. So that's just what I've been noticing. No, I I appreciate that. Um, I want to take a quick break. And if you have a question, uh, when we come back, Todd, I I would love for you to review uh, narcissism a little bit more. uh, Because people, if they're showing up in your office saying, you know, my husband's a narcissist. um, There's a difference between a bad headache and a migraine, right? Correct. So. There are people with migraines, and they're very different from headaches. Correct. Yeah. So the fact that you have a narcissistic moment, you can't label that person a narcissist. But well people said. are quick to do it, aren't they? We are. It's yeah. very quick. It's in the water a lot. So. Yeah. So we'll take a break. When we come back, lots more with Todd Mulliken. You go to toddmulliken.com to learn more about Todd and his services. Be right back. Hi, this is Bill Arnold, and thank you for checking out the podcast. I'm always glad when you make your way over to MyFaithRadio.com and look through the menu of everything you can listen to, programs that have already aired that you might want to hear again, or maybe you have a friend or a family member in mind that would really be blessed by hearing something you heard And then it gives you an opportunity to talk about it and share your faith with a loved one. It's one of the great things I love about the podcasting at Faith Radio. And we have a great fundraiser coming up, so I would love for you to say yes to that. You can text the word GIVE right now to 877-933-2484 or follow the link in the show notes to give your gift today. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Back with Todd Mulliken, and we're uh, talking about narcissism because we've talked about it before, but there's still so much to learn because, according to Todd, many, many people will come into his office and assign that mental health condition to their partner. And it's just a lot of times it's not true. Correct. Yeah. So, if we can, just maybe briefly give us the nine indicators of the condition, the yeah, narcissism. So narcissistic personality disorder, at least currently where we're at with it, even in the updated DSM. So the first symptom is they expect to be uh, acknowledged for things greater than they do. So it's a sense of like really needing acknowledgement for whatever they do and they expect it. And what also comes with that first symptom is embellishment and bringing the conversation back to them. The second symptom is they are preoccupied with fantasies of power, 
brilliance, beauty, and ideal love. So sometimes people that are in an affair will have that second symptom of narcissism quite a bit where they feel like they found ideal love. They're locked in on a fair island and they, that's, they, you know, they found true love and they married the wrong person and they are all over that second symptom. Or sometimes people that are in mania will have that second symptom quite a bit of always needing to have the next thing, the next thing, the next power move, the next area of brilliance. So it's a preoccupation. It's not somebody that likes to grow a business and then maybe have another one. It's because I'm really naturally gifted at that. That's a beautiful thing, but they're preoccupied with it. The third, and most people never talk about that symptom of narcissism, right? I mean, so most, so anyway, the third symptom is they kind of feel like they're a big deal. They, they believe they're kind of a, they're special and they're unique and they're above others. And they come off like that. The fourth symptom is an excessive need to be admired. So my belief is that most narcissistic people's capacity to love is not as great as their need to be acknowledged, their need to be right, their need uh, for approval. So they want to be admired and their need for that is greater than their desire capacity to love? Capacity to love. Capacity yeah. to love, yeah. Yeah, so they lack that capacity to love. They're more defined by how their need to be acknowledged or need to be admired. The fifth symptom is they are, have a sense of entitlement and they expect automatic compliance to their wishes and extra favorable treatment. So they, they don't make requests, they make demands. They are not invitational, they're interrogational. They, they make demands. They don't create spaces for different perspectives. Uh, the sixth that gets used quite a bit is they, at the end of the day, will exploit others. So this is where you can have a mild narcissist to a severe narcissist, right? A mild narcissist might wake up just, you know, like I think a lot of us do. I mean, I'm more comfortable when I get my own way, right? So, <laughs> But it doesn't mean I'm exploiting my wife today because I want to get my own way. And a lot mm -hmm. of people use that word exploitation, manipulation a lot, right? And that's giving power to the fact that that means the other person is wanting to manipulate you. And there are manipulators out there for sure. There are people that have that and are like that. So, but, so that's a sixth symptom is they will uh, exploit others. Mm -hmm. Seventh is a lack of willingness or capacity to empathize. That's the big one. That is the big one, isn't it? That's the big one. The eighth is they think others are jealous of them. So, Bill, hopefully you're not looking in the mirror and thinking of the 23 people that are jealous of you, right? Mm -hmm. I, yeah, if I do that, then I'm in trouble. I, I don't. I can't imagine anyone's <laughs> right. Jealous I'm with of you. me. Totally, I'm yeah. with you on that. Yeah. Then the ninth symptom wraps it all up, where they come off with an arrogant and haughty attitude. So, to meet the criteria for a chronic maladaptive pattern of behavior, they have to have at least five of those nine. Thank you for that. That's very helpful. The question just came in: Are most people with antisocial personality disorder? Also a narcissist. Yeah, it's a great question. So mm -hmm. that's a little that's in so we have cluster B personality disorders and we have cluster A and cluster C. Cluster B are the dramatic ones. There's four of them currently. There's narcissism, there's histrionic, there's borderline, and there's what this person mentioned, antisocial personality disorder. And those are people that they're on more of that psychopathy train, meaning they will they'll they'll have a sense of lawlessness, they'll have no sense of conscience. They will. They usually grew up with you know, lots, you know, being battered and you know, bullied and uh, neglected and abandoned, and now they are they just lack any kind of 
Uh, so it's beyond almost a lack of empathy. So the people that actually have severe narcissism or what we hear these days sometimes as the you know, really exploitive narcissistic people usually have both of those personality disorders together, right? So there is, and that's really power pack. That's a very, 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 very small segment of the population. Okay. Anti, you know, borderlines that are uh, narcissism is about five or six percent right now, lifetime prevalence. Antisocial is less than that. Mm-hmm. As you and I talked way back in the day, actually, oh, obsessive compulsive personality disorder is the most common, which we don't talk about very much at all. It's seven to eight percent. So that's still, that's a lot of people, but that's one in a hundred. It's not half the people down your block. Mm-hmm. So uh, Todd Mulliken is my guest. And Todd, um, when you are trying to be assertive in your communication style. And you also talked about a narcissistic characteristic is a person who wants their own way. So how do we split that difference with, hmm. I, I want to be assertive. Where do you want to go to eat? I don't care. You know? And then I go to the restaurant you decide, and then I'm kind of in a bad mood because we're at this restaurant and I hate being there. And I, that, it's on me for not seeing what I wanted to do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I just didn't care, right. then don't hold it against you. That's a great example, Bill. And don't hold it against your spouse where they just made the final decision. And that's kind of what can be a slippery piece that passive person's watching. Well, they just went where they wanted to. Well, hold on. You didn't say what you wanted to do. You, or you didn't care. Mm-hmm. So they made the final call. That doesn't mean they're controlling you. And that's what passive people will do sometimes. Instead of just saying, so just you know, say what you mean and mean what you say. If you're passive, you know, say what you mean, mean what you say. If it doesn't go well, that's not on you. I mean, just try to do the best you can with it. But if you want to go to a restaurant and go out to eat somewhere, name the restaurant you want to go to. Yeah, but I know they really like that restaurant. Okay. If, you, if, they, if you're doing that for them, great. Just hold, hold it against them that, they, that, that you went there. Mm-hmm. Right? And sometimes they'll want the other person to say back, no, I don't, no, 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 no. Where do you really want to go? Mm-hmm. And that, that person who's just trying to make a decision might not do that. They'll go, oh, okay, we'll just go here. Mm-hmm. But they're not intentionally then thinking like, yeah, I I don't really care where you go, you know, you know. So I think sometimes we can attribute things to the other person, especially when we're close and married to them. We make attributions, we make assumptions about their intentions, and I do it most when I'm in a hurt mindset. I'll hold against. I'm making an assumption. And I, if I'm going to make a false assumption about anything, Laura does, I'm going to clarify with her first, mm-hmm. and. And then if I was right, then okay, and she'll own that or whatever. But most of the time, I'm just wrong. You know, she wasn't intending to do anything other than just choose the restaurant. Mm-hmm. So watch it. So that's yeah. a great example. Yeah. When you talk about compromise, let's say the, the wife wants to go eat French food in New York, and the husband wants to go to some ranch in Montana, and they end up eating French food in North Dakota. No one's... <laughs> No one's happy, <laughs> right? No one's happy, but... Yes, I love it. Well, I mean, it's a, as a compromise, as you're trying to work it out, you're trying to be assertive in your what you want, mm. but you still have to compromise, right? You do. And maybe we get to join the other thing, other person and what they are for. So we get to go to New York and, and not, you know, have a pity party and just go enjoy New York because you know your spouse loves it. And now let's go to the ranch too, you know, well... Those are two vacations. We have money for one. <laughs> we got money for one, then we got to yeah. split the difference. And maybe we go one year one place, one year the other place, you know? So, I mean, I think healthy compromises when we're for the other and both people are for the other. We're not scorekeeping. We're not, you know, we're not holding against. We're, and I, I'm not trying to make this sound easy. I'm just saying watch it when we do that. When mm-hmm. I start keeping score, when I start holding against, then I better take a shower emotionally and spiritually and get and let the Holy Spirit come on in and just at least help clarify in my mind, Holy Spirit, what is true here? 
what is true? You know, God, how am I glorifying you in this? How is my identity in you? How do you want me to see my spouse? What's the truth about this situation? Now, if the truth is there's a pattern of behavior that's abusive and chronic, then call it out, name it, get help. If the truth is in our hurt moments, we both circle the drain and have, a, you know, have an ice age together or clop to the top of the top of the hangar mountain together and we're just broken in that, then we need help on getting less broken in that. And, mm-hmm. But but we have to watch where our mind takes us when we get hurt. Yeah. All right, Todd, what's a proactive step we can take as we look towards wanting to be more assertive in our communication style? Mm. And there's people thinking, I've got this weekend, there might be some assertive, loving communication I want to do. What are some proactive steps we can take to get there? Yeah, I think going with that weekend with him for the other, because I love who I am in Jesus and I'm for that. And I want to talk out, I want to talk about something that I'm for with the other and things that are going well. I talk about five to one all the time, five affirmations for every difficult conversation, right? And so we're for creating hospitality of what we're for. That's, that's our main assertive language, right? Is we're, because we're enough in Jesus, we're for the other. And we're doing that a lot. And if we have a moment where we need to address something and we need to do it proactively, then we're going to pick our spot and we're going to do it offline and we're going to be really good at it and say, hey, you know, I've been swirling with this issue for a little bit. Can we set up a time to talk about it? You, mm-hmm. know, you know what I mean? So we're going to really do that part well, not because we're afraid, but we, because we get to do that part really well and we're going to make sure we're invitational about it. Mm-hmm. What's the simplest short sentence advice you could give to any couple tonight. Simplest short sentence. Before the other, speak without offending, listen without defending. Say that one more time. Before the other. Be on each other's team. Yep. Okay. And then speak without offending and listen without defending. Mm-hmm. And I will add, be nice to each other. Oh, I love that. That's good. I'll throw that one in. Yeah. Todd, thank you so much for being uh, with me today and, and everyone... Uh, we love having you on. So thank you once again. Thanks, Bill, so much. Yep. Todd can be discovered, found, located at toddmullican.com, M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N.com. We're going to take a little break, and we also are looking forward to uh, so many things that are going on here at Faith Radio, uh, not only this month, but in the new year. And if you are um, want to consider Giving at the year end, we're going to be, um, we would love to hear from you. Uh, we had our one-day fundraiser this week, and it was just a blast. And if you happen to have not tuned in on Tuesday and would still like to be a part of that, you can, uh, of course, go to MyFaithRadio.com. We'd be more than happy uh, to hear from you. So thank you very much for supporting Faith Radio and praying for us and uh, liking us and caring about us. That all means a lot. All right, we'll take a little break, and we'll be right back with Hour 2. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.